This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. Pretty exciting event going on this entire month at Heritage Distilling Roslyn location, which if you haven't been already, you really need to make it out there. But Justin, can you tell us more about this creative venture for the month of August? Yeah, this is called Artists Rock at our Heritage location in Roslyn, downtown Roslyn, which is about five minutes from Sunkadia Resort. And it's starting off this weekend, so it actually kicked off yesterday, August 2nd. Uh, It's running today, but it runs every weekend through the whole month of August through Labor Day. It's part of the Roslyn Art Festival. The goal is to promote arts and artists and to encourage the appreciation of really the historic qualities of downtown Roslyn, which I tell people all the time is Washington's most authentic kind of old town city. Uh, And the goal is also to support local businesses. There's some great restaurants. Of course, The Brick, which is the the oldest continuous bar in the state of Washington, is there on the corner. Great uh, food, cool little shopping, and uh, just a great excuse to go and uh, check out some art and we'll have some on display at our distillery there in uh, Roslyn but also encourage you to look at the entire town of Roslyn. Yeah I think maybe a theme for our show today is neighborhood local supporting local because we'll have Brian Claudio Smith from Bakers in Sunset Hill on the show later and uh, talking all about creating a neighborhood bar and promoting your local community but this is a really cool event I think that you guys are taking on. Uh, This is the first year right in existence for Artist that's rock. right. Yeah. Yep, that's right. That's and, right. I mean, that kind of reflects Heritage's values to begin with, which is about the fact that every spirit has a story and that you've always been so much about helping and promoting and reflecting the the personality of the local community, which I think is amazing. Yeah, we're very much community-focused. Last weekend, we helped raise $58,000 for the food bank down on South Puget Sound. That's and amazing. Uh, we just, um, we're very excited about this, and our team is very excited. We just partnered up with the people at Glassy Baby. baby Glassy oh, yeah. Baby, and they have created a new limited-release Glassy Baby named after our BSB brown sugar bourbon. It's hey, got a beautiful yeah. color to it, and awesome. uh, we're going to raise some money by selling those. Those will be available in all of our tasting rooms. Those so, things are popular. Yeah. They are. Yeah, they <laughs> that's are. incredible. Two local businesses working together for a good cause. So that's that's pretty darn neat. We'll make sure people t- check out Artist Rock at Heritage Distilling in Roslyn. In the meantime, what is going on in the headlines this week? Well, first up this week from thedrinksbusiness.com, loud noise suppresses our ability to taste. Uh, interesting article we read through this. While music often is uh, thought to be a mood enhancer at restaurants, turns out, based on research done at Oxford, Loud noises can suppress our ability to taste. So the uh, professor Spence from University of Oxford went and played music uh, in venues and then correlated that with how people responded to taste. They believe that music in restaurants actually can help drown out the taste of the food. Oh, wow. They revealed that loud music makes it harder to discern a drink's alcohol content, which might drive diners to buy more booze, while classical music can make diners spend more than they would have if they were listening to pop music. The author believes certain restaurants are using mu- music to alter the diner's moods, such as fast food, 
Uh, they're known for cranking up kind of high-octane soundtracks, which encourages the diners to eat quickly and then leave, and then they can turn the tables quicker. The topic of music in restaurants is often divisive because people have got different tastes and they respond differently. They're talking uh, also about the owners and their own view to music and how that kind of uh, displays itself and what they uh, have on on hand at the restaurants. And uh, you should keep music as unrecognizable as possible, is what the author says. No modern music because it is divisive. They play in this one uh, particular place, the Sportsman's in the White Sable. They play Delta Blues, Reggae, and Ska. I find Ska to be offensive myself, but that's okay. Uh, they create moods rather than demand attention. Um, because if you're focused on the music, you're not focused on, on the food at hand. So pretty interesting uh, that they're talking about how noise suppresses the ability to taste. Yeah, I mean, I would think everything else in a restaurant has, has been thought about and has usually typically an influence on what you're eating, color scheme, lighting, uh, even temperature and smell. So, yeah, why wouldn't music have an effect on how you feel about your food? So pretty interesting. Steven Severin, when we talked to him about Life on Mars last week, told me that uh, he thinks that that's usually one of the last things people think of when they're putting together a restaurant. And he, by that point, it's too late. That you, yeah. should have already, you should have already figured it out as you were implementing everything and getting where the speakers need to be and everything as you're building. So. Love it. That's right. Love it. Next up, uh, I actually found a marathon I might sign up for. This is from <laughs> Thinking Humanity. Me too. Thinking, thinkinghumanity.com. <laughs> French marathon where people drink wine and eat cheese. I don't like to run personally, and <laughs> marathons are historically among the most grueling of all endurance events, yet the Marathon du Medoc in France offers runners the opportunity to gorge on as much wine and cheese as they like. The route takes participants through a range of vineyards and estates with a castle or two thrown in for good measure. However, as well as the standard water stations that keep runners hydrated, participants can stop off the occasional stall to indulge in wine tasting and cheese sampling. In the rather unlikely event that neither of these takes your fancy, you can also tuck into some local grapes, ice cream, and even oysters. Uh, this may be different from the traditional marathon. There is one factor you may recognize, which is fancy dress. Each year, thousands set off in their best costumes, whether it is a bottle of wine, Vikings, or even dressed as aliens. It's an eclectic mix of characters with the best pri- uh, the best dressed uh, receiving prizes. Runners are given six and a half hours to complete the course, which organizers say is enough time for even amateur runners to enjoy the beautiful scenery, as well as a glass or two. Um, it is still a marathon, so 26.2 miles. Take it easy on how much alcohol you consume just so you can get to the finish line. I don't know if I'd be able to finish that marathon. It takes place on September 7th. And, I think uh, you we would. can post the link. It sounds like You'd people have... might take their time. Though. Exactly. Like, you're, you're lots of stops. But honestly, you could finish you could finish in six and a half hours. And I think a big part of it too is you're just in a beautiful place and beautiful mm-hmm. scenery. And I love this. The winners in both the male and female categories are awarded their weight in wine. <laughs> yeah. So yes. creative getting creative on the prizes. I love everything well. about this. I know. Let's sign up. I've done a <laughs> yeah. marathon before. It was uh, it was much less enjoyable than this sounds. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Up next on Cast Club Radio, well, we are keeping it local. We mentioned that earlier in the show, speaking with Brian Claudio Smith, owner of Bakers in Sunset Hill, which Eater Seattle wrote up as one of the best new places to drink cocktails in Seattle, even though it's been only open, even though it's only been open for three months. So we get to talk to Brian next on Cast Club Radio.
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio right now. In studio, we're joined by Brian Claudio Smith, owner of Bakers in Sunset Hill. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Actually made it out here to the physical studio. So we know, you you know, went through traffic to be here. We appreciate it. (laughs) It's my pleasure. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the bar industry? Absolutely. Yeah. Started in restaurants and hospitality when I was in college, uh, like so many people, and then also (laughs) graduated and went into working a lot in sort of the theater scene here in Seattle and was doing the actor bartender thing, uh, which is so rare, I know. Um, and then over time, just kind of fell fully into hospitality and, and started running beverage programs and uh, managing bars between here and then ultimately in Denver and in Brooklyn. And just kind of coming back now. So, Is there any crossover between doing stage work and also working a bar? I mean, it's it's a natural pairing. There's <laughs> The bar is sort of a stage in and of itself. So it, it becomes a very safe uh, or no, safe's maybe not the right word, but it becomes a a familiar space because it's a little bit of improvisation as you're chatting with people. People are watching you make stuff, so there is a showmanship to it. So I think it is a pretty natural place to gravitate and be able to kind of express yourself in a in a somewhat similar fashion. A lot of people who end up working behind the bar, though, aren't brave enough to take that next step and open up their own venture. So what made you want to take that next step? I, I you know it. I'm not going to lie. It was totally terrifying. And it still is. We're, we're, we're fairly new. We've only been open for about three months. And I'm every day sort of expecting that to be the day that people decide to stop showing up. So, you know, we'll, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. But I, I kind of just hit the point having, you know, after leaving sort of theater and going into full hospitality and working in that world, just hitting a space for myself and my own sort of life and ambition of wanting to be my own boss and wanting to profit a little bit more directly off of the quality of my work and to just take the chance and, you know, see what happens. And, and in a lot of ways too, and having come from sort of an artistic and creative background, it it is a creative outlet. And so in the, in the process of opening the bar, you know, there is so much about it that it, it, it's, it, you know, scratches the itch and the need to create that has been dormant from not necessarily doing theater as much. You know, and I've joked a little bit with people of that, you know, you're, you you design the bar and really what you're doing is you're designing a set. You just don't have to tear it down, you know, uh-huh. and you, you know, you, you are creating this cocktail list. You're creating this world. You're creating this atmosphere. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very fulfilling feeling for the artistic part of myself. And, you know, and I just think there was the need to do that and the need to be a little more autonomous. Well, I want to ask you about the artistry of actually designing the menu and the mm-hmm. cocktails here in a bit. But first, let's start with that. I actually took theater design in college as my elective, and it was so cool. I loved it. And when it comes to the basic design of the bar, what went into like conceptualizing that? The Sort of letting the space inform how it was going to lay itself out. So, so my conceit, what I really wanted to do when I was beginning this project was I believe in the idea of the neighborhood bar. And as we get, you know, the dynamics of the city shift and we become, you know, uh, continually like uh, more people, more urban, more everything that I'm, I'm obsessed with, like the smaller communities that are within the larger sort of metropolitan sphere and, and, and representing those communities. And I also think that here now in 2019, the sort of craft cocktail movement is far enough along that the quote unquote neighborhood bar can definitely be in you know an ambitious cocktail program, really interesting wine, really good small plates. It doesn't need to just be you know draft beer and whiskey and that sort of thing anymore. So you know I wanted to create a neighborhood bar with just a really good sort of cocktail and a, a contemporary beverage program 
And so then it's about trying to find the right space. And I was looking around for a little bit and fell in love with this beautiful little spot out in sort of Sunset Hill, Northwest Ballard, that checked all my boxes and that it was small. It's, you know, inside is about 750 square feet. Oh, wow. And then we've got another little garden space, which I love because it's a, a backyard garden, which is kind of rare in Seattle. Uh, but I like an outdoor space that's private and has a little bit of that sort of seclusion and intimacy. So once you find the space, then the design happens around it and just the way that it laid out and, and the shape of it. So it was just fun to be like, all right, so now I have a feel of how the ergonomics of the space and how the traffic flow is going to work. And then from the design elements, you know, it just was bringing in touches that, you know, I, I, I like sort of a mashup of classic touches and kind of modern feel. So it was like, I want to sort of marble top bar. My wife found this amazing hand-painted tapestry from the 1930s, a Fernet Branca tapestry wow. that we just kind of treated it like wallpaper and put it on this wall. Um, you know, we have these beautiful lighting fixtures that my designer worked with, um, Mallet Design, um, had brought back from France that are just sort of very unique and one of a kind. So we got to bring in these really classic touches into this really small and intimate space and just sort of went from there. Keeping with the intimacy theme, you only have bar seating, right? We only have bar seating inside. Yeah, and- so it's all rail seating. It's all kind of on display. And the bar and the kitchen are smashed together, which was another thing that I really wanted to do was to kind of cross-pollinate those worlds. So it's a little L-shaped room where the short part of the L is kitchen and the long part is bar with just a wraparound bar around the whole thing. It's pretty incredible. So if you had to just describe the aesthetic for nobody that's ev- for someone that's never been there, how would you describe it in like a couple sentences? I mean, it would be uh, maybe timeless elegance with with a I mean, it's it's elegance maybe sells it a bit short because there, there is a there's a an energy about the room that I like. So it's trying to so it's a timeless elegance feel, but with a very sort of vibrant and electric kind of energy in the space, both because it's small. So only a few bodies makes it feel quite full. And I really love 90s hip hop music. So the music is not necessarily too too austere. (laughs) Like we're definitely going to play like good music and have a good vibe and keep it lively. But in this really sort of elegant and fun atmosphere. Well, clearly people are responding well to it because you mentioned only open three months. Three months. But you already have made an appearance in Eater, Seattle as one of the best places, new places to get cocktails. How does that feel to have your creativity rewarded like that? Yeah, as I said before, I still keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm everything so far I'm, it has delightfully exceeded all of my expectations. Uh, the neighborhood is amazing. We have amazing regulars who are already coming in. We've been busier than I expected, which you know still shocks me. The 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 reception has been really almost entirely positive, which is you know I'm 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 just thrilled. I, I you know I don't know I, I I consider myself super fortunate, and I'm I'm still kind of humbled by the whole thing too, and 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 uh, just trying to take it in and not you know. Not, uh, I feel lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Get to do what you love every day. It was pretty neat. Well, we're having so much fun. We're going to keep Brian here for one more segment and ask him more about the menu and all the great cocktails on it. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Still sitting with Brian Claudio Smith, the owner of Bakers in Sunset Hill. Thank you so much for joining us. It's still my pleasure. And we got to dig into the aesthetic of of Bakers to begin with, but now I really want to ask you about the menu itself and the cocktails that have inspired 
in that space. So what is it about, you mentioned the design, sort of letting that speak to you. Has that influenced the cocktail menu itself? Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways it has. I mean, for one, the menu itself I is uh, designed to kind of riff on classic cocktail books. So, you know, I, I, in a day and age of largely the one-page menu that is black and white with some nice font, I was more interested in a little bit of color illustrations and a little bit more of a menu booklet that reads, um, you know, a little more like kind of a like a classic cocktail book. So I was riffing off the Savoy, which kind of informed the design elements, but also then knowing that we were going to have some space to fill, we, you know, a, a big conceit for me was I wanted to split the the cocktail portion of the menu into three, and we're going to always kind of run with that as our template. So we'll have we'll always have a third of the menu dedicated to aperitifs or low alcohol cocktails, which is something that you know I, I believe a lot in, and I think that that is where certain drinking trends are going as people enjoy flavor, but aren't nece- are also health conscious and aren't necessarily looking to get totally wrecked. <laughs> um, you know, and then a third of the menu I want to do because we have some of this this. Uh, classic vibe have a third be actual published classics with a little bit of like the date of when they were first published and kind of an homage to those and then have a third be sort of newer interpretations or or sort of our own riffing and creations so yeah i mean it kind of we we always look backwards and i think that this is very common within cocktail culture now is to be like you have to kind of respect what's been there before you and you really want to know and have a good background in a lot of those classics because that will teach you some of the foundations on which to build your own improvisations and understanding balance and then you kind of riff and have your stuff of like i know all that and then this is the we have new ingredients we have new things to play with so here's what we're creating have people really responded well to that design and that style actually they they have it's been really interesting i wasn't sure what to expect and we sell a really even blend of all three so it's not we're not finding that people are only drinking from one of these sections we're getting a little bit of everything which is also, I mean, it's 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 nice to see it working. And on the new side of things, where you get to be maybe a little bit more creative, what's something that you're really proud of on that side of the menu? Yeah, I'm, I guess, I mean, that's such an interesting question that people often ask, like, you know, what are your favorites or what's the best? And yeah. and and in menu design, it's little, it's a little bit less about what's the thing that we're the most proud of or what's our signature. It's it's you know, you're just trying to cover flavor profiles. So it's like, uh, rather than that, it's like, this is a really good tequila cocktail. This is a really good all spirits, kind of brown bitter and stirred whiskey cocktail. This is a really good gin sour. So you, you just start to hit flavor profiles and give sort of your best expression of that so that from the guest perspective, if whatever it is that they normally like to drink, there's ideally something on there that's right in their wheelhouse. Okay, that's fair. What's one of your favorite things to drink then? I mean, I'm, I tend to gravitate <laughs> myself towards more of like the the brown bitter and stirred world. I'm I'm a big kind of like uh, Boulevardier old fashioned kind of person. So I mean, we've got one on there that's a, an old one of mine called the Antique Roadshow. That you know, it's it's a personal favorite, but you know, it's that's just what I like to drink. Yeah. But you know, I'm I'm an equal opportunity imbiber. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 try everything. Awesome. We were talking before we got started here about how, like many people here, you feature a lot of local alcohols and things like that. But I was looking at the menu and you have a lot of really, especially on the aperitifs, the like very exotic sherries and vermouths from Spain and France. Um, how did you go about sourcing those and figuring out which ones you liked? Sourcing, we just kind of are working with, uh, there's a lot of really wonderful distributors and importers here in town. Um, so, you know, you, you, you have to work within what exists in the state. Um, fortunately, there's a lot. Uh, and then from there, it's once you sort of commit to saying, you know, we want to feature a strong uh, selection of aperitifs, then it's knowing like, well, well great. So we're going to have 
a larger than normal portion of vermouths and cherries and things of those natures. So, you know, it's, you, you kind of commit to that, uh, and then, and then you run with it. And so then it's just fun to explore what's out there and pick kind of your favorites and play in that world. Um, and it also makes sense for us too, because the other bent, the other side from the cocktail program is we also are doing a, a really strong natural wine program. So to, and being sort of neighborhood driven, um, and wanting to be able to provide an extra service to that community, we also have our retail license. So we can sell bottles of wine to go. And just because of the way that the laws work, we can also sell sherry and vermouth to go. So it's a natural, it's like synergy for us to feature a lot of these wine-based aperitifs because not only are they great, not only are they low alcohol for that part of our menu, but they're also something that I can sell as a retail so that if you come in and you're like, wow, this is an amazing vermouth, I can just sell you a bottle. Wow. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. And you mentioned responding to the neighborhood. Do you see that being part of how you grow? I mean, three months, I know you're still it's still getting your feet. Yeah. Back, I mean, but. ideally. I mean, it's, it's just trying to provide certain things, see what takes hold, and then really flesh that out and, and, and you know, get to know people and have them get to know us and what we offer and then just sort of see what happens organically um, and just listen to what the community wants and um, also offer them things that maybe they haven't tried before. Was there any part of living in, you mentioned, you know, you lived on the East Coast in mm -hmm. New York or in Brooklyn. Were, was that part of where the neighborhood bar kind of came from? Because it's such a big city, such a metropolis, and yet they still have very distinct neighborhoods and personalities within each of them. I, th I think a little bit that. I also just think for for me, it, it's um, a little bit getting older. Like you know, it's it's I'm 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 still I've I've lived in this sort of cocktail culture for so long, but I'm not necessarily looking to pay for parking. I'm not necessarily looking for a scene for all of that kind of thing. I'd rather find a much lower key sort of spot and offer a similar experience, but that is is you know that you can walk to or you know that 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 was sort of the conceit for me. You do see a lot of that in New York as well, um, and definitely my time in Brooklyn informed a lot of what happened out at Baker's just in terms of you see extreme creativity within a lack of square footage, and it's amazing to see how they solve those problems. And so there's, you know, definitely we've got a small space, and so we got really creative with how to activate the space, and some of that was, was definitely uh, inspired by my time out in New York. So we've talked a lot about the ambiance and the drinks, but uh, I want to know about the food. Mm -hmm. I know you teamed up with Matt from Matt's in the Market. How did you go about putting the food menu together with the way you designed the drink menu? No, absolutely. So uh, working with Matt to um, to start the space was kind of a no-brainer. I helped open Lakosha when I had worked in Seattle prior, so Matt's been a, a, a friend for you know a decade now, and. For anyone who remembers the original mats in the market space, when you think about, so we are a small hoodless kitchen, and it's solving those problems. And the original mats was absolutely about solving that problem and working with very limited equipment and creating this amazing thing. And so he, you know, and and, and in chatting with him, it was a really great opportunity to be like, help me get this started, help me, you know, work on this. He actually then essentially just kind of brought in his executive chef Cody Westerfield to really write that menu for me, and you know, and Cody did a great job. That kind of freed me up to get up and running and find the right person to really anchor the kitchen. And then from there, it's just been sort of just a natural and organic evolution. I, I, I managed uh, or I was very fortunate to meet through a friend, a gentleman named Todd Andrews, who has a very similar. He's our executive chef now and he's amazing. Um, and we've already kind of tweaked the menu now. And so he's really running with it. And it's his menu at this point um, and has a similar sort of 
uh, trajectory to me, which is so fascinating. I'd never met him until right before we opened. But he also, Northwest-based, spent a lot of time in Seattle, was in Brooklyn for nine years, just now moved back in the last year. In Seattle, kind of had worked all over and really rose through the ranks up to the top at Tulio back in kind of really like, you know, Tulio's heyday 10 years ago, um, and then has been doing like really awesome programming out in Brooklyn for some spots out there, extra fancy and Ellis, some really like great, great little spots out there too. And so this was a very sort of organic fit for him as well. And, and he understands the parameters also from his time out there of limited equipment, limited space, and how to solve that problem and still put out really sort of impressive food. Um, and so now it's, it, it's his menu and it's awesome. Yeah. It's really good. So great food, drinks that there's pretty much something for everyone on the menu mm-hmm. and a great space. Many of the reasons why you were featured in Eater Seattle, but what can people expect from you in the future? You know, I think that the, the, we're not going to necessarily try to change the formula at all. I really want to stay in a world where we've got, uh, you know, really good cocktails, really good, interesting wines, local, small brewers. I mean, our, our whole thing is to try to source all our beer from within five miles of wow. the spot, which isn't hard because there's amazing breweries all <laughs> over town and especially up in the sort of Ballard, Fremont, um, Inner Bay area. And then to have like really sort of surprisingly great food. The, you know, the, the wrinkles for me is to then add in, which is kind of our next layer as we get a little further along, to offer some more sort of um, programming, for lack of a better phrase, to do like, you know, winemaker dinners, to do, um, I really am super interested in trying to activate our backyard and do kind of outdoor cooking and take, we won't ever do brunch, but I think it'd be interesting to take like a random Saturday and say from noon to four, you know, we're roasting a pig out back, just come out grab a plate, yeah. you know, we're doing special. So having these sort of things that are, are you know, that become neighborhood events yeah. on top of just the vor- sort of very, very, very standard and, and interesting sort of offerings that we already have. Um, I think that's the next wrinkle for us. That's pretty incredible. Where can people find more information? We want to make sure that they get out and check out Bakers or is Absolutely. there a website? Yeah, we have a, a website, just uh, www.bakersseattle.com. Um, we also have a, you know, the requisite Facebook and Instagram stuff. It's just Baker's underscore Seattle. So we'll, you know, keep, keep events posted on there. And, um, that's probably the easiest way to follow us. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we touched on it in the first segment that Heritage Distilling was out doing some good for the community last week. We want to touch a little bit on that and also let you know ways maybe you could help your local food bank. And of course we have a cocktail recipe for you. That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. In just a few minutes, we have a brand new cocktail recipe for you. But before that, Justin, you kind of sneaked this by us in the opening segment, but I wanted to ask you a follow-up question. You guys raising a ton of money last weekend for a great cause. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, well, this is for the Gig Harbor and the whole Key Peninsula Food Bank. Uh, it services quite a large area in Pierce County. 
and it's a you know nonprofit 501, uh, really a volunteer-led organization. They've done great work. For the last uh, 13 years or so, there's been this uh, very cool phenomenon called Swim with Fish for the Fish Food Bank. And different swimmers go out and raise money. You know, we at Heritage uh, sponsor some of the swimmers and then just donate cash as well, uh, along with food. And they this happened this last Saturday. They are put on boats. They're taken across Colvis Passage from the Key Peninsula side on the Gig Harbor across to to uh, Vashon on the west side of Vashon Island. And they're all dressed up in dry suits and each swimmer has a kayaker assigned to them. And then they swim the mile plus across Cobles Passage back over to this uh, Sunrise Beach. Wow. And then when when they land, there's big barbecue and big celebration, and just so happens that between all the swimmers and our donations, they raised $27,000 for the food bank, but the food bank had gotten a state grant, so they have a dollar-for-dollar match, so we were able to really leverage that into over $56,000 in, in fundraising just this last weekend, and that comes on the heels of uh, what we had done as part of the uh, food donation challenge with some of the other restaurants and, and uh, businesses in the region last month where we literally challenged other businesses to uh, host canned food drives and other things and ended up getting truckloads of uh, food wow. and everything delivered because you know people oftentimes, they, they think of the food bank as something that people uh, are really focused on in the holidays. But, you know, summer, there's a lot of kids who they're not in school and they're not going to camp and so yeah. they don't have reliable uh, lunches and, and dinners. And so summer oftentimes is a critical time of year. And so, you know, we went and raised a bunch of, uh, we gathered a lot of peanut butter and jelly and, and non-perishable items to be able to let them have good lunches throughout the summer. And it just feels good to be able to give back and it engages our employees and engages the community. And now our, our mission for the food bank has helped find them a permanent home because they, their needs have grown so much that they need a bigger space. And, yeah. and uh, so we're going to try and help them figure that out too. That is so cool, man. Yeah. No child deserves to ever be hungry. And it's one of those things that I know, you know, we end up taking for granted sometimes is just being able to eat uh, three meals a day or however many meals we are, have access to. So this is pretty incredible. And I'm so happy to hear about those efforts. And you really downplayed them. So I'm really glad that we got <laughs> to I asked you a few more questions about them because that is phenomenal. We'll be following along as you try to find also the new space for the food bank as well. Well, you know, we don't talk overtly about a lot of the stuff we do for the community because really it's not about bringing more notoriety and attention to heritage for us it's about how do we use kind of our our megaphone yeah and social media reach to let people know about these other causes because these causes need assistance in in getting out in front of the community so others can figure out how to help them down the road yeah, well, if you are hearing this right now and you want to get involved or, or donate to the food bank, uh, please do. I'm sure they have a website presence, and and you can also be part of that that effort. Also, any food bank, it, it should yeah. be you know people should be supporting their own local food bank. So no matter where they're listening to the show, they should be thinking about the, the and those are oftentimes uh, the people who are on the front lines, the people who work at the food banks. They're on the front lines of what the local needs are. Absolutely. It's one of those things where, you know, just like when you go through your closet and you can donate to Goodwill, it's one of those things where you go through your pantry and you don't realize there's so much stuff that, non-perishable stuff that you don't use that someone else could be using. So Mm -hmm. uh, it it feels good, too, to just clean that out and get some clutter maybe as you move into the fall. So I suggest you do that. In the meantime, we've got a brand new cocktail recipe for people this week as well, right? 
We do. This one's called the Rosé Twist. Uh, you know, Rosé wines and, and Rosé sparkling champagne and, and others are, we've talked about the, the trend in the market. So this uh, requires two dashes of simple syrup. Remember, you make simple syrup with equal parts water and sugar that you heat up on the stove and then let it liquefy again. So two dashes of simple syrup, a half ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice, one ounce of our Elk Rider crisp gin, which is amazing, amazing, very clean gin. And two ounces of your favorite rosé wine with a splash of club soda. So what you're going to do is get a shaker with ice. You're going to put in the two dashes of simple syrup, the half ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of gin, and uh, shake it and pour it into kind of a champagne flute. Top that off with two ounces of rosé wine and then a splash of club soda. Garnish it with the lemon twist, and it's a beautiful cocktail, especially on a hot summer day, uh, very light and refreshing, and something you can make pretty easily for you and your guests. Yeah, and so if rosé isn't quite your speed, it's just, you know, take it up just a little a little bit with a little gin in there. I like that. I like that. You could. You could if the rosé is not your speed, you could uh, try some kind of uh, very light white wine. I wouldn't go with a Chardonnay that's too buttery, but you might go with a Pinot Grigio or something like that. Put a little riff on it. I like that. So this recipe available online, heritagedistilling.com, where you can also download episodes of the podcast, catch up if you have missed a few. We know that you're out there on summer vacations doing things, but we don't want you to miss an episode. Those available on heritagedistilling.com. That's right. And you can find us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, both at Cast Club Radio and at heritagedistilling.com. And send us emails, post pictures, post cocktails you're making or things that you're enjoying uh, around the campfire or whatever with your friends or family. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Also, if you're looking for a fun event next week, Heritage Distilling is hosting How to Host a Summer Cocktail Party, presented by Heritage Distilling at Trophy Lake Golf and Casting in Port Orchard. It sounds amazing. It's $55 a person. You get a welcome cocktail, which is a knuckleball slushy vodka cocktail and yep. a four-course meal. That's right. And the whole goal of that is to uh, give you ideas on what to do for planning maybe your big uh, Labor Day barbecue or party or maybe even into the fall as uh, we enjoy beautiful weather for outdoor entertaining. It's perfect. Remember, always available at heritagedistilling.com. And everybody have a safe week. We'll see you back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.